Hello, and welcome to Shape the System, where we find and tell the stories that help people to rethink the way the world works. We interview people from all over the world who are helping to change our systems for the better. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures, who help ambitious founders and their teams scale up for success. More about KPMG High Growth Ventures after the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's Vincent here. Welcome to Shape the System. Having a wonderful time today, we're going to be talking to Helen Black from Work Restart, and we're going to be talking all about prisons and recidivism. I can never pronounce this word <laughs> properly, but we'll, we'll get to that later as well. Um, and some really interesting stuff that, that Helen and, and her, her group over at Work Restart are doing. Um, so, Helen, welcome to the show. Lovely. It's really wonderful to be here, Vincent. Yeah. And so, look, we, we always like to jump just straight into, I guess, the problem space. And, you know, I've obviously done a little bit of pre-reading and research here to try and understand this, but I'd love to start at kind of ground zero and understand the, the, the problem and the area and the context in which you operate, and then we'll talk a bit about how you play in that space. Yeah. So basically in Australia, we have around a 46% reoffending rate. So that's based on people that are released from prison. Um, about 46% of them will return to prison, will reoffend and return to prison within two years after being released. Right. And that's what recidivism is. I can never say it either. It's one of recidivism, those words okay. that doesn't really roll off the tongue very easily. So, yeah. <laughs> so recidivism, um, I just want to make sure I'm getting it right. Uh, Recidivism, yeah. So probably the biggest issue that sits around <laughs> that is it costs a lot of money um, to incarcerate a person. So in Australia, right. it's 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 based on a state based state basis, but it's roughly about one hundred and six thousand dollars a year per person. And then, of course, you have all the social, yeah, emotional right. and financial costs on the outside of reoffending as well. So we have a system sure. um, which is. Sure. Uh, you know, this is this is a, a problem that doesn't just exist in Australia. It exists across the world, um, and different countries have different statistics. Right. So America's reoffending rate is closer to seventy five percent. So if a system is supposed within two to, years, wow. Yeah, within two years. Yeah. So for, if if the prison system is supposed to ensure that people are able to re-enter society and re-engage positively, then right. technically you'd probably say right. it's it's not working that well. To be able to do that, right? Well, I mean, seventy percent like reincarceration <laughs> rate. Because I'm just going to avoid the word recidivism now because I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't. You don't. Really, I don't really have a benchmark to work on other than the two numbers you just gave me. But it doesn't sound great. Mm. I want to. I want to understand though. Um, I guess a little bit about that is the kind of the percentage problem. But tell me in gross numbers in Australia what that looks like. We're a population of a 25 million. What are the number of people in Australia who are incarcerated and 46% of what, I guess? Yeah, so we have about 42,000 people incarcerated in Australia. So those are the people that are incarcerated. Right. And right. then there's other an, another amount, I think it's around yeah. fifty or 60,000 that are um, have community-based corrections. So what that looks like, it's, a, right. it's about $7 billion a year that Australia spends on incarceration, uh, which technically would be much better used right. working with systems and processes that prevented people going down this road in the first place. Um, incarceration is no. complex. Um, there is no doubting that sure. this area has many different facets. If, if it was simple, it would have been solved ages ago. Um, 
And there's all sorts, <laughs> sorts of things such as right. mental health, drug and alcohol abuse, physical abuse, uh, mental abuse, just not really being connected. Uh, there's all sorts of elements that actually um, make somebody offend in the first place or re-offend. So it, it is very complex and each of those issues right. need to be looked at independently, I suppose, um, yeah. And is there kind of a cohesive thread for a lot of those issues? I mean, a lot of the things that you talked about just then felt like there was a social fabric kind of issues. Is, is that is that a thread here or is there, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, obviously. Yeah, I think interestingly enough, in a lot of cases, drugs or crimes because of drugs, crimes dealing drugs, crimes using drugs, um, they often right. make up about 60 or 80% of the people that are incarcerated. So, you know, part of that is looking at, well, what's right. driving that behaviour and, and, you know, how is it ending up there to actually get there? I think that fundamentally... Sure. So we work with many people who come from very different backgrounds, so often very disadvantaged backgrounds. Sometimes they don't have the skills, they haven't had the role modelling, they haven't had the opportunity to sort of really understand how to to sort of take knockbacks, Um, even though a lot of the people that we work with are highly resilient as well. They've had many knockbacks. Um, But it's just sort of looking at how... Mm you know, those people can use skills and abilities really positively on the outside. So, yeah. Right. Right. And and, I, and this may be a rabbit hole that might not be the right place to go into, and I do want to get to ex- actually what works Restart's doing, but we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. Is it, when you talked about the number of people being incarcerated directly or indirectly related to drugs being sort of in the 60 to 80%, is there a question that you or people in the industry generally ask, is incarceration even the answer to these problems? I guess it depends whether it's a, you know, a violent assault on someone driven by drugs or someone simply having or you know, using or distributing or whatever, the, I don't know the right terms. I mean, how does, the, how does your industry tend to look at drugs as a problem generally, as a curiosity? I, yeah, I, I don't think that's a curiosity at all. I think that's a really reasonable question. If we're seeing that there's something that's driving a right. behaviour, what's actually happening to stop that behaviour in the first place? Right. Um, and and to us, it's interesting yeah. seeing models such as Argentina, which sort of decriminalised some certain drugs and how there was actually a reduction in crime mm-hmm. uh, because of that. Um, again, it's right. a different culture though. Right. I think that fundamentally... Work has to be done at the front end to try and prevent people coming inside. And if it's a matter of addiction to a drug, especially ice, you know, some of these drugs are just so highly Mm. addictive. Right. How are we actually working with that system of rehabilitation first before we get to incarceration? I think some of my personal opinion is some of the laws around this probably need to be just a bit tougher in terms of non-voluntary requirements to attend um, rehabilitation services. But it's, it's like anything else. Right. If somebody's not ready for change, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah. So you need to be looking at, well, you know, how well, do we well, actually well, inspire change? Yeah. Yeah. My mum my is a psychiatrist and well, she's retired now, but she talks talks about the joke that psychiatrists make about how many psychiatrists it takes to change a light bulb. It's only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> feels appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and cool. I, I think that's just it. We've got my joke out of the way. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing because you, 
fundamentally we're talking about individuals and while we can wrap it all up in these numbers, essentially people are individuals and they have individual stories and they have individual triggers and individual things that help um, shape their life. And if we can take the time to understand that a little bit more, then we've got the ability to be able to create something that can actually impact on that individual. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to come back to that individual point because I've got I've got a question, not not debating it, but just querying one part of it. Um, but I do want to move to yeah. to to where work restart plays in this because I think regardless of how we might change and adapt um, laws and and processes and policies to try to stop people from being incarcerated in the first place, regardless of what got them there. I mean, I'm curious now as to what what work restart is actually doing with these people who are incarcerated. And there's some really interesting facets to what it is. And if, if maybe just lay it out and then we can dive into some parts of it. Yeah, no problems. So one of the one of the things we looked at were what were some of the lead indicators of somebody when they were released from prison if they were to sort of stay community positive, what were some of the lead indicators? And employment is a critical one. But unfortunately, employment is not achievable for about 90.6% of the people that are released from prison. So 90.6% are still unemployed six months after release. Won't get a job. And that's often to do with the stigma that sits around being incarcerated, having these big gaps in their resumes and all sorts of other things. So what we understand with employment is that it enables economic security, it enables a focus, and our key word is meaningful employment. So if you have somebody that is highly skilled and capable but the only job that he's able to get or she's able to get is sweeping floors because that's the only work that they'll give to somebody who's incarcerated, Mm. then they're never really going to engage properly back into society because their human potential is not being realised. They're almost treated like second-class citizens and, and don't deserve that second chance. So employment was sort of the focus of what we were looking for and part of that was also looking Mm. at how do we create something that is scalable? So how do you move from um, a social enterprise? So initially our focus was on creating a couple of social enterprises. We work inside the prison system but also social enterprises on the outside of the system create those and then we create an employment pathway to help people get their feet back on the ground before they move into mainstream employment. And the difficulty we had with that is how do you scale that? How do you go from working with 30 people a year or 40 people <laughs> a year? Build a very big business. To actually that needs dealing, 42,000 yeah, staff. To actually, <laughs> yeah, to actually dealing with the, you know, the 10,000-plus people who are released from prison every year. Um, that's, that's not scalable. So we do a lot of work inside the prison right. where we, we're actually operating an existing prison model, which is an industries model. So we go inside, we connect right. businesses with people inside, um, we do training, real-world work experience, give them everything that they might need to make them employable when they get out of prison and um, will help them with employment when they get out of prison so right. that they've got, they've got the ability to be competitive in the employment market. And the second phase of what we're doing is looking at starting a second chance partners program where we link with employers so that they already know that they're incarcerated. So we get past all of that 
oh my God, do I tell somebody if I'm incarcerated right, or right. not? Am I going to get sacked if I do? They already know right, right, and they're right. willing they, they to know. sort of say, we're they willing know. to give you a second yep. chance. <laughs> they know already, yeah. Sure. So we work sure. inside the prison in an existing model and that's how we can actually scale. We do a lot of the change work inside rather than wait for people to get outside. Right. Interesting. And let's talk about change work for a minute, which is a great word, by the yeah. way. But like that change work, is that changing the attitude and the behaviour of the individual or is it getting them to a point where, a, you know, they're completely employable or they've already got a year? Like what, 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 what is this change work specifically? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's two components of it that what we see. We actually work off a theory of change, which is called self-determination theory. So it looks at how okay. we can That's a thing develop, someone can look um, up and read, by the way. Yeah, absolutely, self-determination theory. So it looks at autonomy. So how are people okay. able to sort of make structured decisions about their life moving forward, not being controlled necessarily by their right. environment, but to be able to make the right decisions? It looks at belongingness because we know that the three groups of people that people associate with the most when they get out will impact some of their behaviours and what they do. So if they go back to the old group, (laughs) then potentially there may not be a whole lot of change. Whatever that group is. (laughs) But if they've, you know, it could be an old group of friends who are running around stealing cars, you know, it's not, there's not going to be a whole lot of change there. Right, You said three, you said three groups, by the way. Is that a particular number or? Yeah. Yeah. The mental health research is actually, we've sort of. As in like there's. Yeah, we put that from the mental health research, which looked at, it's, it's actually recovering from depression. So your ability to connect and belong mm. in society, which we know is a fundamental human need, is enhanced right. by being able to do that with three different groups. So it could be a family, it could be a work group, it could be a sporting group, it could be a religious group, it could be a hobby group. You know, what are those three groups that you can connect with that are positive indicators or positive supports for you to move mm. forward in your life? Who are they? What are they? And how do you make sure mm. that you can do that? And so many people who get out of prison will actually say there's this deep sense of loneliness and disconnect and hopelessness that can often right. come from that. And right. if there is an ability to connect with other people who can see them for who they are, uh, somebody who's made a mistake but somebody who's moving on from that, then there's a sense of hope and a sense of purpose and and, and, the, and the willingness to keep on trying to move forward rather than just go, well, what, you know, why yeah. why bother with this, you know. I, I might as well just go back to why doing bother? what I'll I was doing I'll be back in two before. years anyway. Yeah, yeah, all of that. <laughs> so um, belongingness is that other thing. And then the final one is competency. So it's basically saying how do I get the skills right. and abilities to be able to deal with a work environment both from a technical perspective but also those soft skills as well. So teamwork, mm-hmm. communications, conflict right. management. Yeah. And if we're sort of teaching these in the context yeah. of work, some of that may fall over into their personal life as well. So, yeah, that's sort of the nitty-gritty right. of what we do. So change. That is, that is fascinating. We, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that is the nitty-gritty of what we do. But we can't we can't change a person. We can only provide an environment for which they can change. Right. Right. The light bulb has to want to change. Sorry to come back to my mum's joke. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you spoke a little bit before about about opening this up to other businesses. And I think 
the the because the, the program of of bringing work into the prison system and giving people work firstly meaningful work secondly and more importantly and then and then a set of skills being built around that i think those programs certainly exist uh, more broadly not just in australia but to your question of scale i think this is the thing that's really interesting you you almost have to go and you know you build a system for delivering this program and then you basically say to you know, businesses, you can leverage and engage in this program. I want to understand a little bit more, and I know this is still early in the in the growth phase of this part of the equation, how you're engaging with these businesses. Where do they come from and then what, like, like are they leaning in and like are they looking up kind of Helen in the phone book saying, how do I, how do, I do this or are you having to go out and sell this to them? Like let's talk a bit about that part of the equation. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Where there, it's it's actually quite interesting. If you there's two components to what we're doing. So there's the business integration on the inside, where we're trying to say to mm-hmm. some businesses, look, if you if you can pull some of your work inside, we can help train. Um, skill up people, that's a benefit to you because you would then potentially have a stream of people who can come outside and are trained on your products and we know their work ethic, we've been working with them. And when you need employees, well, potentially they can go straight in there. So some of the businesses we work with have this direct inside, outside sort of um, equation. Other businesses we work with, we're, we're basically trying to help uh, ones in the local area incubate, so provide a little bit of support to help grow those, so grow grow the economic output um, for for those businesses. The ones on the outside are right. interesting, as we said, we're just sort of incubating the second chance second chance partners program, and some of the businesses that we've spoken with have been right. really positive about this. They're leaning in and they're saying. We're with you. We know that this is a bit of a gritty issue, but we believe that we may be able to do something here together and we're willing to give people a second chance. And often that is because there's been some experience within the management or some other team where they have had um, a family member or somebody else who may have been incarcerated and they just sit there and they say, well, I know actually that person is fundamentally a decent person they've made some mistakes you know I would really like to try and do something to to fix that more broadly I think the other thing is again it gets back to this human potential when you look at the skills and abilities of people inside the prison system uh, it's just extraordinary and this is just you know their ability to contribute Mm. positively to our Australian economy is just incredible, and yet we sort of say, no, you can't do that anymore. You know, you, you've you've made this error. You can't do that anymore. Right. And one thing that we found when we first went inside the prison that a lot of the industries, those things have been inside prison since day dot. You know, that's just part of the operating system. Right. It's important right. to get people like what kind of moving around. It's good for their mental health. Yeah. What was that? Sorry. What, what kind of examples of the things that have been in prisons for a while? Like what are the, the, the yeah. normal things that exist there that we all sort of expect or are you always there? Yeah, things like metalwork and woodwork, um, you know, those sorts right. of uh, jobs. Going to make an ashtray. So, yeah, or, um, you know, welding or a chess table like that. So, yeah, right. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the key thing there is what we try to do is look at what actually are some of the skill sets that are needed at the moment? And we just saw this mm. huge divide between the digital economy 
and actually what was being right. taught and being available to people inside. So we started Australia's first um, digital studio inside a prison um, where we were originally wanting right. to work with coding, uh, but there were some concerns about the security of the prison if they worked with coding, which, um, yeah, which doesn't quite yep. work that way. And so we, we started with graphic design and then we do a bit of coding, um, virtual reality, right. CAD, um, all sorts of other things where we're actually working with people that often haven't had this ability and time to be able to develop these skills. We might take somebody who's really good at, at graffitiing and tagging and all of a sudden they're these fantastic designers on a computer and have a, have a career future right. um, with what they're doing. Or they, mm. they, you know, have a bit of a technical yeah, um, sort of analytical brain and they work well with the CAD team. So, you know, being able to right. offer up different career opportunities was really important for us um, rather than just sort of the standard woodwork, metalwork, um, because yeah. of the diversity of talent inside. So, um, you know, people and should be... And also I'm guessing if, because of yeah. this is the world, yeah, the world they're coming back into, right? Like... If they come yeah. back, I'm, I'm not making a specific comment about Australia's manufacturing industry, but if they come out into the world and, you know, 10 or 20% of new jobs are digital jobs, like yeah. everything that they're learning in terms of skills specifically needs to be relevant to that environment. Yeah. Just just sort of on that point though, um, in terms of the companies today who you're engaging with, is like I, I still, still remember sort of reading on your site, it was talking about kind of construction and manufacture is kind of the, the industries that tend to engage. Is that still what you're seeing or is it is it starting to get kind of diverse as to the companies that are saying, you know what, we're interested in this program and where we can take it? Yeah, I think it's two things. So we work with a fantastic Green Fox studio with our digital uh, studio. So they, they're they engaging some of right. Australia's biggest companies to look at work and work opportunities and things like that within the digital space, which is fantastic. We mm-hmm. do still look at construction. Construction is, is a massive employment area. We have a wonderful partnership where we're working with somebody now on the outside to build accommodation for formerly incarcerated people because that is a significant barrier for people when they get out is finding suitable accommodation. But we're actually doing it with formerly incarcerated people. So they're they're learning the building skills and trades, et cetera, to build accommodation. So it's this really beautiful synergistic sort of blend of two wonderful social enterprises working together to achieve really good outcomes for people um, that are going through the sort of construction engineering phase, um, which we're just starting next year. And then with the manufacturing, what we look at is individually in this area, what are some of the actual skills that are needed that are employable? And as you said, Australian manufacturing, uh, (laughs) but... I actually see there are a lot of benefits around <laughs> the circular economy, around um, the, the circular right. economy, around certain trades that we're finding and being brought back up on shore. And we will have this skilled workforce ready right. for them to go into it, um, which just, again, creates these opportunities. Yeah. I think the industry areas yeah. inside prisons can be social impact hubs where we're working with industries that are both doing good on the outside where possible and helping um, change people's lives on the inside. Right. And I'm curious, like, like you know, like what I think the, the work that you're doing and the idea around of, of how you might scale this 
you know, it's all really like fascinating, interesting, and, and exciting. I'm curious as to kind of the roadblock here. Like, what's what's holding you guys back from from having you know not 350 people in a year, but 3,500 people in a year? Like, how do you get to a third of that 10,000? Like, is it you got to get enough businesses across the line, or is it literally just scaling the thing that already works? Or is there companies lining up, but the people or the, the prisons themselves are, are challenged? What are the what are the roadblocks here? Probably, um, technically, we have uh, eight customers in Australia, and those are the states and territories. Yep. Um, So they're the people who run (laughs) the uh, correction services in each each area. There's a couple of private providers, but generally it's the state or territories that run the correction services. So there has to be this shift and belief that a, a system which is a little bit disruptive can actually work within their models. So we're, we're really fortunate at the moment to be working right. with a, a, um, a state that is saying we want to try something a little bit different and see how it goes. And, you know, the outcomes are actually right. um, evident that it is working well. It is by the very nature of the beast um, corrective services across Australia have to be risk, very, I suppose, risk averse for want of anything else. Um, you know, right. for, for the protection of the public, they uh, they often will look at how yeah. or just embrace enough risk to be able to do this. Yeah. So, so there needs to be the ability to two things critically, and the first one is to say we're willing to do look at things a little bit differently. And I think that's the value of what we're doing. Even though we're disruptive, that disruption sits within an existing system. We're not asking to radically change the system. We're just we're asking to look at it in a slightly different way. So that in itself should be a little bit easier right. to sort of work with. But the second part is that fundamental belief that those reoffending figures can actually be influenced. So they have been high for many, many years. We're talking 10, 20 years, whatever. They've been high across the world. And while there's always pockets of excellence, there's always something that says, well, this tiny little program over here, if we do that program, we can get reoffending rates down to 5 or 10% or 15% or something. And that's fine, but that little program right. over there is going to cost us $400,000 a year and it works with 20 people. So how how is right. that scalable? So the difference with us is that we've created right, right, something right, right. that right. fits in with the existing model, uh, fits in with the existing expenses and yet achieves those outcomes. And I think right. sometimes because the system has been so used to the nothing can change, it's always going to be this way, <laughs> that there is a little bit of resistance around the belief that actually we can do things differently. And interestingly enough, when you look at best practice across the world, that is Norway. Norway and the Scandinavian countries have about a 20% reoffending rate. Right. And it's because they look wow. at how what they do inside in a very different way. The culture is is um, is very much strong on rehabilitation. So we've got tough on crime as a mantra, right. which is fine. You know, for society, mm. if people do the wrong thing, then there needs to be there needs to be an outcome. We're right. not saying um, you know people have to be accountable yeah. for their actions, but is mm. who who right. do we want going back outside? 
Do we want somebody who's spent two years inside, right. has learned more bad shit, and is going to be living next door to you because 98% <laughs> of people will be released? Or do we actually right. want to have somebody that's had done the work on themselves to be able to get to a point where they're feeling a bit positive about their future and can go out with with a strong system wrapped around them to actually help them achieve that? You know, so tough on crime, absolutely. Strong on rehabilitation. That's the other part of the mantra we need in place. Right. And if we can get that in place and the belief that it's possible, it's just, I think it's just amazing that often because we're not dressed in as prison guards, we're not, you know, we we are specifically there to look forward. We recognise a person's past, but we're saying that you can't do anything to change that. That's happened. What you can do is you can change the future. So if you can, if we're we're always future looking, Mm -hmm. And we'll often get people in our areas which yep. are really positive, good contributors, you know, saying the right things. And then we'll talk to a guard or something and saying, oh, you've got that person. Oh, my goodness, he's just horrendous. He's so rude. He's so this. And we're just looking at them going, <laughs> are, we, are we talking about the same person? Really? We have never seen that. We have absolutely never seen that from that person. And I, and I think it's this is where that we have to shift the perceptions around the capabilities and the possibilities, and look for the strengths in the people that we work with, so that they can see those strengths as well and understand how those strengths fit positively back into society. We're not psychologists. We're not your mum, <laughs> so we don't. Um, it's not about us <laughs> well, working be one from a questions. psychological perspective. Yeah, no, no. It's it's just about saying one of the lead indicators is employment. We understand that there's work that people have to do, right? And but it, but sometimes, especially men, doing that work doesn't mean sitting down opposite somebody. Right. Doing that work means standing beside somebody while you're physically working and maybe talking things through or being in an environment where we try to look at strengths-based um, approach. And we, we, we run a program mm-hmm. which um, really looks at teamwork and how some of the best ways we should look at talking to each other. And there's one lovely lad in it saying, oh, my mum, she needs to do this course. <laughs> And she was okay saying, oh, no, you know, she, she should learn how to, you know, she just oh, that tells also me means how you need crap to do I am yeah, and stuff like that. So um, I'm not saying anything against mums. I'm a mum. I know how damn hard that job is. But it's, it's, no, no, no. it's just, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that um, we, we all humans make mistakes. We all get it wrong. I get it wrong on a daily basis. You know, right. there's. Um, nobody's perfect, but are we moving right. forward and are we able to actually recognise that, you know, it's, it's, it's a growth-based mindset. It's saying it's okay for me to make mistakes if I learn from right. those and move forward. And that's probably what we're about. The psychological right, 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 right. work, the hard work has to be done by a, psycholog- a psychologist. That, that just that We can't do that. That's not our domain and right. we don't even want to go there. But we can get somebody to the point yeah, where they yeah. start to recognise that they may need that help, and we pass them over. Got it. And is there is there an element of, uh, I guess you, you talked about not trying to be, you know, doing a psychological work, but a lot of 
you know, in, in terms of growth mindset, a lot of sometimes what you need to do is provide people with a framework to, I guess, interrogate their own view of themselves to understand how they think and what their strengths and what they're capable of is part of the, I guess, induction of someone into this program, someone who's a, a prisoner. Is that the right word? I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, is actually getting yeah. them to, you know, to become self-aware of these are the things I'm good at. These are the things I need to work on. And and maybe that's in a work context, but it's still within the domain of getting good at something, having the autonomy and having some purpose, which was some of those, the, the hallmark of those three things. Is that part of it as well then? Yeah, I think I think the difference with what we do is, I mean, when you when you look at confronting yourself, anybody, whether you've made right. mistakes and or big mistakes or not, it's 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 a really challenging thing. I mean, somebody who's been incarcerated has a lot of work to do. They've got a lot of work to do on themselves, often their their family and their community. Um, so it, it's it's hard. If you put a fence around that and say, let's just look at this from a work perspective, let's just think about relationships Mm. at work, let's just think about how we communicate at work, then clearly some of those skills are going to fall out of that work environment and into something a bit bigger. Fundamentally, self-awareness is the key to everything, isn't it? It's it's the key to be able to say, I understand how I impact other people and making decisions about whether that is something that is important or, you know, if this person over here is calling me a scumbag because I've been incarcerated, is what they're saying important or am I self-aware enough to know, no, I've got more value than that. So it's both, you know, protecting but it's also understanding the impact that people have on other people. And it's really hard to do that. And what will often happen is there's what's, again, there's lots of wonderful courses and opportunities for people to learn some basic skills within a prison system, but often those courses will run for four weeks or six weeks or ten weeks, and then they finish. So what we're trying to do is learn through doing multiple times. So if we're with somebody in a work environment, Monday to Friday, eight in the morning till four in the afternoon, then if they're learning the skill of conflict management, then they have the opportunity to apply right. that and we can sort of see when they apply it and we can we can <laughs> go, this isn't just a theoretical concept you have anymore. This is something that where right. you're actually trying right. to apply. And what's really, really amazing is right. when the guys uh, do go through uh, some of this sort of leadership and self-awareness stuff that we do in the context of work is that they'll go, you know, yesterday that gentleman he, you know, that, that other guy on the machine, I would have just told him to, you know, just shut up and do it. But he's, no, no, I, I, I thought, no, I need to deal with this in a slightly different way. And it was just like, woohoo! You know, it's just, you know, it's just that understanding. So what's Progress. the skill set? What's the learning? Yeah, but you don't, we, any of us don't, if we don't get the opportunity to apply, to learn right. how to apply, how are we really going to embed that? And I think that's yeah. where our difference is. So, yeah, totally. you know, we have the most amazing team, yeah. the most amazing directors. We have people who 
bend over backwards trying to, you know, make sure that we're doing our best. And that's amazing in itself. We've got people who are wanting to come to work every day. None of this would work without the amazing team that we have. And, you know, in some systems in Australia, I'm aware that there's significant turnover of staff within the incarceration um, system, in the incarceration correctional facilities, we very rarely, we don't have that same level right. because people actually see the purpose behind what we're doing. It's it's not, this isn't about mm. holding somebody back. This is about helping somebody move forward. And that focus is a big I mean, difference, yeah, I think, both Growth in how people said. feel when they're working in our areas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a, it's interesting when we try to explain what we do to a very structured system, a lot of it is intangible. If you just put on paper, yes, we want an industries right. area. Well, we already do that. You know, it's 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 like um, right. how do you how do you get to the point? Right. Well, yeah, but the way we run it is somewhere different, and that's what's achieving the outcomes. Right. And it's like, well, I don't understand why. You know, <laughs> so it's really hard to sort of, I suppose, um, vocalize the, the intangibles. Um, just on the outcome thing, I just I'm curious about the, I mean, because you started right up the front with you know 46 percent come back in. I'm not even going to try to say the word yep. again. But <laughs> the that I mean that that must be true north, right? You must be looking at that a year from now or two years from now and saying we've been working with this correctional facility now for two years. We've had six employers in there and we've had 300 people through the program which we could never have done at our level of scale if we tried to be the business, but introducing other businesses has given us the scale. But that 46% number has come down to something less than that. Is that, that, is that true north? Is that how you're measuring, ultimately measuring the success of the program, if you had to boil it down to a number? Yeah, from the, from the very, um, we are focused on reducing reoffending. We, we, it's, that is at the top level a number. So we our, our system currently right. um, almost halves that. It gets it to twenty five percent sustainably. So this is twenty five percent. Wow, we should have got to that across. much sooner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the actual part of that is, I believe, um, well being, and it, you know, right. so we can have somebody who's not reoffending. But it's it's well being. I think is just such an important component. You know, how how do if somebody's sitting right. at home feeling miserable and that they can't connect and they they um, especially if they've committed a, a particularly grievous crime and they are truly right. remorseful for that crime, um, it, it, that mm. there is this mm. weight that they carry with them the whole time, and it takes a long time. Right. for them to actually feel worthy back in society again. So they may not be reoffending because generally right. in most cases if somebody right. actually commits a very grievous crime, their chances of recommitting that crime are actually very low. That's that's um, right. not that's not somebody who's highly likely to reoffend. So if we just looked at that reoffending rate, it would be, you know, we've got this person sitting out there who's not reoffending. But is but their well being is sure. not is not is very bad. Time. Yeah. And maybe, as yeah. can often be the case, um, they end up taking their own life. Um, so again, it's that human potential, yeah. the right. all of that is wasted. So 
at the very top level, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, looking at reducing reoffending, trying to keep a safer community, reducing the overall arching cost to the community yep. is important. And what I would right. love to do right. is to be able to take some of those funds that currently exist and be able to say, how do we work to prevent people getting into the system a bit more? And how do we work on well-being when you're out right. of the system? So that then there is this, right. you know, we can right. yep. we can sort Cradle of start of to really work with this quality of life. Yeah. Helen, thank you so much. It was um it was fascinating. I feel like there was a lot more in there that that we could have gone the rabbit hole. We could have gone down on some of those things as well. But I think for sure it's going to be just like wonderful to see how this plays out in the next one or two years and and how it scales. And we're, we're going to look forward to sort of checking back in with you as well. So thank you again for being on Shape the System. No problems. It was actually really great talking to you. And yeah, we're, we'd be really interested to come back in two years' time and tell you how much we've scaled. So. <laughs> Amazing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shape the System. As usual, if you'd like to suggest a guest, someone that you know who's helped change a system for the better, please go to www.shapethesystem.org, click on the top right-hand corner, then click Suggest Guest. Make sure that you click Subscribe so that you get the new episode. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures connects founders to the services they need along their journey. Whether you are looking to refine your strategy, mature your finance function, prepare for a capital raise, expand abroad, or simply comply with regulatory requirements, they provide you with the support you need to drive your business forward.